Hey friends, Mike Myers here with Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 63, Josh Doyle. Now I'm not sure why I haven't, why has it taken me so long to have Josh on the podcast? Because we talk all the time. He is one of my mentors, uh, such a good friend. He's founder of the Sync Licensing Company record label and producers collective based in LA called 330 Music. He was the person that helped me understand a lot more of commercial songwriting, better my production skills. He's been and continues to be a huge mentor in my life. And yeah, I'm not sure why we haven't had him on yet. So we're going to do two episodes. So this is part one of my talk with my good friend and mentor, Josh Doyle. And we're not going to waste any time. We're just going to jump right into it. I can't believe it's taken this long to get you on the podcast. Your schedule is so... It's insane, Josh. It's been a busy, uh, busy summer at least. And I'm joking. I was joking, Josh. I can't believe I just didn't ask you. It's just like I only asked <laughs> you until I, because you seem like it, it would. Yeah. Why didn't I make you one of the first guests? Well, I feel like I've we've done like a Zoom thing before. We've done like a couple of Zoom things, mm -hmm. maybe. But not since you got the podcast. Not since no, you no. Like we've done stuff for the classes where I've had you as a guest. We've chatted, yeah. but yeah, nothing that's like you know, out there in podcast land, but you're here. So it's like you've introduced me to your friends, but never your family. And I always, you know, I was never offended by that. <laughs> but I'm glad you're here because you, you were my first mentor for recording. It really was. Cause like I'd taken a class, but like you were the first, I was trying to go back in our messages in yeah. the Facebook messages to go the very first one. I was oh, like, funny. what was the exact phrase you sent me? But before we get into that, yeah, I yeah. want to, you know, I, I definitely want to get into like your, your background of how you got into, you know, licensing, doing it professionally, doing it well, doing it for this long, consistently building a company, basically everything that you did, what was like that starting point? Because you live in LA, but you're originally from Indiana. Right. Yeah. Uh, so when I moved out from, from Indiana to LA, um, I moved out here to be a session drummer. I wanted to tour and do studio work and stuff like that. And I started gigging with different artists, right? Now, you know, right there, how yeah. did you make that jump? Because some people think I'll stay in the city that I live and still do music. What was the choice to, I mean, was it just like you were always had the idea, like I'm getting out of Indiana? Well, <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody. It's in Indiana. No, I, I basically just, I, I was really excited. Like, you know, when I was a teenager, I started drums and I just kept wanting to get better. Yeah. And I started with... I mean, this is the answer to your question. I started with like one drum teacher and at a certain point, I can't remember how, but I ended up like getting recommended to the next best drum teacher in town. And I'm like in a small town. It was Crawfordsville, Indiana. I think 30,000 people, something like that, small town. And then I was studying with that drum teacher for a while. And then I, I found out that that, my drum teacher was actually driving to Indianapolis to take lessons with an even better drum teacher. And then, so I eventually started doing that. I made the drive, like it was an hour drive. So two hours round trip every week to take these drum lessons. And he, he was great. He was a graduate of Indiana University and stuff like that. But basically my point is that I just started growing out of my, my pool. You know, I could only get so good in the area that I was in. There was no more drum teachers there. And when I started going to Indianapolis, I was like, Indianapolis is the biggest city there is. Not that I ever got better than my drum teacher or anything. It just was like at a certain point, 
I started like gigging, you know, I would start in my town and then just like any other touring band or whatever, you start getting regional and then you yeah. go like full state. And after a while you've like done everything you can in your state. And so like, that's kind of like why I ended up wanting to move to LA because I, I just knew there was more opportunity for me there. That's really interesting. That was like another level, another level, another, mm -hmm. but like, I feel like you still do that. Like you just realize, yeah. like, Oh, it's just like a higher level. There's no mountaintop. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I don't want to get us, <laughs> we, we can <laughs> go off on all these things here, but this morning I was kind of getting myself in the mood for, for our conversation. So I was listening to a couple episodes of your podcast and I really like those little like seven or eight minute episodes where you just like, just go hard on one topic. And, uh, <laughs> That that one you had one about um, like being curious, like mm -hmm. the importance of being curious and having that drive, and you know what happens if you don't have that. You know, you're just kind of like it's it's not fun, and you know you're just gonna it's not gonna end up well. Yeah, and so basically, I've just always been curious about that next level, about like yeah. what happens after this, like what you know. Yeah, that kind it's of. It's like thing. when people make money. When they make, they think a thousand dollars is a lot, but when they make thousand dollars, they're like, "Well, five thousand dollars." And when they get five thousand dollars, they're like, "Okay." There's always another level, so it's just like it, you realize you're doing the thing you want to do if you're always curious about, like, "Well, what does this look like? What does the next yeah. one look like?" Yeah, I love that. So then you move to LA, so you go out. Yeah, so I go out um, on my. I remember on my drive from Indiana to to Los Angeles. I, my band had broken up in Indiana, like my high school band and just a bunch of stuff that just kind of was a catalyst for this. And I remember on the drive saying, I'm not going to join any more bands. I'm only going to be a work for hire, you know, like hired gun kind of thing. But the first thing I do when I get to LA is I join this band. <laughs> but after that, um, anyway, I, I ended up going to uh, the Los Angeles, it was had a different name, Los Angeles Academy of Music. Now it's Los Angeles College of Music or something like that. Mm -hmm. Did that for a couple of years. And then that gave me the skill set to start playing for different artists as a hired gun, doing tours. And then this gets me into the sync thing, which is I was started drumming for these artists and then just naturally found myself um, able to write with some of them. And just like how it goes, you know, you write a bunch of songs over a tour or something like that. And only some of them get used for the album that they're working on. Yeah. Know at the end of the year after the tour ends. And I started kind of, you know, when, you're, when your favorite song or whatever doesn't make the cut, doesn't make the album, you're like, oh man, that was such a good song. You know, why didn't it make it? And then you start thinking like, well, what could I do with this? Does, it doesn't have to stay with this artist. They didn't want it. And they're totally cool with it. You know, it's, that's just yeah, the name yeah, yeah. of it. You can't have like a 50 song album. So eventually I started thinking like, oh, if I could get, my first thought was like, what if I pitch these to other artists? you know, and get it like as a, as a, um, like a cut somewhere, someone yeah. else does it. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. And, you know, when I talked to the artists that I was writing with, they loved that idea. Cause you know, that's just songs sitting on the shelf that are never going to get used. And that was never my, my niche, the pitching to other artists or other managers or labels, but the sync thing started to really come together because I had had a history in writing and producing my own albums and stuff like that. So I was like, man, if I could produce these songs out myself, hire a singer to come and like do it um i could start pitching music supervisors get placements and stuff like that so that was like a that was the long the long game i was still touring i was still yeah. focused on drumming but in the background i was kind of like if i could pitch these songs how did you stumble on the idea of licensing 
I think my very first thing was hearing that story of Paul McCartney telling Michael Jackson that Paul McCartney was giving advice to Michael Jackson, telling oh. him that the money's in publishing. And then Michael buys the Beatles catalog. Yeah, exactly. Then Michael buys the Beatles catalog. And so when I heard that, I was like, ooh, the money's in publishing. What's publishing? And so yeah. I, I kind of dug into that. Even still, like, what is a publisher? What do they do? Is still a bit of a, a question mark after. I mean, sometimes they do a lot. Sometimes they don't. But sync is one of the sync licensing is one of the things that publishing I love that story of like how they connected at first. Did you know, like, like Michael called Paul McCartney, got his number and come. He was like, Paul, it's Michael. It's Michael Jackson. Paul was like, yeah, you, you're no, it's not. And hangs up, gets oh, really? another call. And then he's just like, Hey, I want to know if you want to write some hits. Oh, that's and so they end up writing like a ton, but then, yeah. yeah, then he just buys the Beatles catalog and Paul tries to like talk to him about it. And Michael yeah. is just like, it's just business. And just, blows them off oh man and that's how and that's the only time they've ever talked i love that you brought up that story because it's such a weird weird story of how is, michael yeah. jackson like acquired the beatles catalog because paul told him like publishing and he was like yeah oh, i'll buy the beatles catalog yeah that sounds like a good one to have <laughs> that's one i'll pick up i'll throw but that's in interesting cart. so then you got into the idea of okay so may publishing maybe there's that and then through there you discovered like oh licensing Mm -hmm. through tv and film yeah i started pitching kind of like during the off time when i wasn't you know on the road or whatever wasn't working mm -hmm. and i mean i could go all different kinds of ways with this but essentially i was starting to pitch because i was playing with so many different artists you know i play with pop or singer songwriter um country whatever and i started pitching all these like to the same music supervisor i'd be like hey i've got three songs one's like country one's Hardcore rap, you know, yeah, voice, yeah. whatever, whatever I was playing for. And they would literally like reply, like, who are you? Are these your songs? Like, <laughs> why are you sending me three like drastically different yeah, different uh, genres? Yeah. Yeah. And I was a newbie and I, I totally understand. Like they, they basically didn't understand like what my niche was. Like what yeah. what am I representing? What whatever. And so eventually I learned that this would make much more sense if I was a record label. If I was a record label and I signed all these artists. I could pitch Jay-Z and Taylor Swift and whatever to the same music supervisor and they'd be like, oh yeah, thanks, you know, this is great. So I, I started Three Theory Music for that purpose and then I would just start pitching stuff under the Three Theory Music um, label and I started to find more success. They kind of understood that I was representing catalogs of music and and it allowed me to just not limit myself to like a certain thing. I could write in all these different styles, produce in all these different styles. Hey, it's Mike. I just wanted to jump in in the middle of this episode uh, because you're hearing things about licensing, you're hearing things about production, and maybe you're just starting your journey in licensing. You're, you're interested in the idea of like getting your stuff into TV, or maybe you're just starting your production journey and you're like, I need to know more. I wish I could watch somebody make tracks that are syncable, ask them questions, ask people about pitching solutions. Well, guess what? That's why we started the Insiders track with my good friend and amazing sync artist, Heather Evans. We go live. I go live twice a month and I build out tracks in real time that I'm using for briefs. That's things for TV and music. And you can ask me questions. Then Heather goes live uh, twice a month answering your 
questions on pitching. She has topics especially related to her artistry career and how she's using sync as the advantage. So if you're listening to this and you're like, well, Mike, guess what? I want to do this. I want to join. If you use the promotion code podcast insiders, you'll get the first 30 days completely free on us. This is going to be super helpful. We want you to learn. Heather and I wish we had this when we started our journey. And that's why we created this. So remember, Podcast Insiders, you can join completely free. So head on over to songwritingforguitar.com to sign up and join now. I think this was when you were in Indiana. You told me like the first like Pro Tools setup you got because it's like... uh, Sweetwater is right in like it's Fort Wayne, Indiana, which Fort Wayne. everybody I I forgets. Whenever yeah, you see like that call on your phone, Fort Wayne, Indiana, you know it's like your Sweetwater rep being like, <laughs> yeah. "Hey, Mike, it's uh, it's just Jimmy. I just want to call up and just see you checking in, make sure you're doing good." But the best piece of advice you ever gave me was like, when you buy something new, don't buy anything else. Just stay with oh, that one thing and yeah. really know it, because I think it was you told me about how before you set up Pro Tools, you read the manual. You were like, I read it from beginning to end. Yep. And then I started it. Yeah, I have this habit. I'm do- I'm working on another business now where I'm kind of doing that same thing. Anything that I know is going to be a big project, like just lots of points of failure, I will do that kind <laughs> of thing of like not open any boxes, not get into it and just just try and read and learn in the big kind of umbrella scope of, I know that there's certain things, like I did that, like I bought my Pro Tools system and it sat outside my studio door in boxes until I read the entire book. And honestly, you know, maybe two thirds of the book didn't make any sense because I had no point of reference of like what they were talking about in the software or whatever. But when it did come time to setting it up, it did like kind of a little light bulb it was like, oh, that's they were talking about this thing. And then I would go back and get my book. And it it just made the process quicker when I wasn't trying to set up and yeah. learn and do all of it all at once. Yeah. Because like that's the thing now you're successful at what you do as producer, songwriter, business. Owner. It's like all the different hats you wear. Mm-hmm. But like, how did you get the idea of like, oh, I have to buy all my equipment. Like, I just have to just get this and just do this. I was frustrated. I And this is like a point that is going to come up a lot at, at different points in my life. Everything comes from frustration of me being frustrated that like when I have to rely on other people and they don't have the same passion for it that I do or I can't communicate my yeah. my vision to them, which is my failure. Or just whatever. Like when I got my Pro Tools set up, it was I my band had broken up in in Crawfordsville in my small little town, and I was frustrated. I was like, I, w- I was frustrated, kind of in that same way that comes later when I was working writing with all those artists, where those songs were just sitting on a shelf. I was like, I just spent like five years writing with this band, and now we broke up, and all those songs they just vanished. Like. Nobody's ever going to use those songs again. That was just a waste. You know, like, yeah, if that was a if that was a business, if that was a factory or whatever, and you were making little doodads, widgets, whatever, you wouldn't just like, you know, if the if the company failed, you wouldn't just like burn everything. <laughs> you would like you would have like some value left over. Right. <laughs> I wish a company would do that. It's like, guys, we made a million doodads. Yeah. What do we do? Fuck it. Let's burn it. We're just done. Yeah. Well, we broke up, man. We're a band. Let's just burn everything. 
so that's what made me get the i was like if i had control over my own songs i could write my own album so i literally walked down to a small little small town bank i still have no idea how i qualified for the loan but they gave me a five thousand dollar loan and i drove to sweetwater and bought like a whole pro tool setup one mic a computer the whole thing and uh yeah so i i well actually sorry before before i did that i started recording at a little studio there in town and i was recording my you know a few songs that i had written and i started getting again frustrated that i would have to go back into the studio just to have like a tambourine lowered in in volume yeah and it would cost me another like 50 bucks just to do that and i was like man if i just had the session and i knew what i was doing and i had the software I could just like, I could make these little tweaks. You know, I don't need yeah. to like read. That's really how it started. I was like, I just want to like lower the tambourine. So I was like, I'm going to take out. A, Which a totally makes sense run. because the amount of like, I, I realize how much thousands I spent in the studio of yeah. just like getting things that were okay. Mm -hmm. But man, like if now I wish we would have done this, I wish we would have done this. Or yeah. the, when we did want to do that, we were like, well, you know, it's going to cost another. So I do know. we really want to do this? And it's like, okay. Yeah. So even though we know it might make it better, it's going to cost. And there was always like, you know, they'd be like, I remember the pro tool session. You'd be like, all right, brothers, I got to bounce this. And then so yep. the bouncing would take like 20 minutes. We'd be like, what the hell is he talking about? This yeah. Is taking forever. Yeah. That just cost us $35. <laughs> it is. It was yeah. insane, but it was yeah. just like, because we assumed that was how you do it. But this yeah. idea of like, I feel now it's a lot more accepted to just like, oh yeah, record. But I feel even you weren't that far back in the day, but like so much has changed even in the past 10 years. Totally. totally. That like, you know, to think like fifth, what year was that? And you bought your first pro tool setup. It was like 2001. So it's been a while. 2000, 2001. I remember just like, I think even in 2000, that was like what cable internet was a new thing. That was, <laughs> yeah, that's what's crazy. Texting yeah. wasn't even like widely yeah. accepted yet. It's crazy as it was, but home recording wasn't like a huge thing that everybody had the capability of doing. No, not at all. And so and like thinking about that is so valuable because it's like, that's almost like a business person too, because they have to think like long-term, what's the best investment and what's my return long-term going to be? And not just like, do I get some songs done at the local studio now? But right. what if I take the time to learn this? Right. And I also want to say that, you know, it really is personality dependent because like there could be a, an argument for, I don't know, maybe the money ended up being the same in terms of like the amount of money I've spent like on gear for my studio compared to what I would have spent just like going and recording my albums with somebody else and having them all do it for me might end up being the same, you know, so I don't know if it's necessarily, you know. Well, you know, it's kind of like you paid for your own education because that's, that's what, that, like that's the other side where I'm like, well, you took the time to master that craft and that skill. Like how many people are like, they graduate high school and then they sign their names to loans that are like $300,000 that you're never going to pay back for a major in Russian literature that they're never going <laughs> to use. And before you know it, they're managing the gap. It's right. just like, <laughs> or Hollister. when I went to apply for Hollister once, like at, like at like 19, they were like, you need a college degree. What? Yeah, you do to be a manager. Oh, manager. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I like how you're like, oh, manager. Yeah, of course. Oh, manager. That's the Hollister. <laughs> That's complete. And I was like, of anything? And they were like, yeah, anything. I so I feel like even though, yeah, 
if somebody said, if you would have said, I went to college and I got da 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 degree, they would have been like, oh, you, you, you helped, you know, further yourself. But I think like some of the things in the routes that we ended up doing, some would say at first, like, oh, you're, oh, you didn't save that money, but it's like, but the investment long-term has then came out as us having these skills that's true that we yeah, can definitely. use and monetize the russian literature for some it's been a struggle it's been, it's been a rough year right yeah yeah that, that's a that's a rough rough area to get into now early on especially with licensing did you notice like you know just how you talked about the etiquette of pitching that you had to like okay now i'm gonna you know establish this record label which is my business and now here are the things i need to do you know, starting your own record label, did that help slowly over time get more placements a little bit? Just like, or the quality of your pitching got better because it got refined because you started to learn like, oh, this is how I should be doing it. Yeah, I think that when I started the company, I knew that it was going to solve the, or address the immediate question that I was constantly getting of like, kind of like, who are you? Why are you sending us all this different music? Like I could just literally say, you know, I'm, Josh from 3-3 Music were sync label, you know, and then they would get it immediately. Because before I was like three paragraphs of like, well, I'm a drummer who plays for artists and I also write songs with them. And so I play with all these different artists. You know, it was just like, forget it. But I also knew that setting up the company would solve a lot of problems in the future and yeah. allow me to, to scale and allow other people to work under that umbrella. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, the, the other big thing, once I started getting syncs that I was a little bit frustrated by before I was that if, you know, if I had my own little side project, like I've got one called The Upsided, that's me and um, my songwriter friend, Emily Herndon, we've gotten a pretty decent number of syncs under The Upsided. Yeah. The problem is, is that that doesn't do anything for any of my other side projects. You know, I can't really like pitch disable danger which is another side project like a rock band of mine and give any of the credits any of the hard work that's been accomplished by me to this other thing so but i could if all these bands were under the umbrella of three theory music i could pitch it as three theory music and be like we've had nintendo placements google placements whatever and yeah it can be a new unproven artist but i can still have them under the the umbrella you know, where it's like all the accolades are all under one kind of like roof that you could be like, hey, our artists have gotten placements on da da da. And it's like, oh, shit. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not that specific artist that I'm pitching. Yeah. That was like a big thing for me. I knew I could, yeah, tie those things together. And I feel like that was had had a big thing, big role to play in the success that, that I've had. That's really interesting. Yeah, that is really smart thinking too long term that it's like, you're right, because like one band could say, hey, we've gotten this, but that doesn't uh, that you can't say that for the other one. But when you have that one entity saying like, hey, we represent these artists who have all gotten placements on. Yeah, suddenly that roster looks like, oh, OK, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. When you grammatically word it in a way that lets everybody live under the, the family yeah. of, of that one thing, then everybody can kind of share in the successes of, of each other. You know? And I feel this gave you play and room for like genre hopping a little yes. bit of things yeah. that you like. Yeah. And this goes back to early on when I first started as a drummer, just playing in bands. I love, and I still love playing in different styles. Like I could never be that guy 
I could never be in the Rolling Stones and you just play Rolling Stones style rock music for your entire life and never play anything else. Um, I always loved the different yeah. genres and writing in different styles and stuff like that. Well, it's because like it, I always feel sometimes it's unfair for musicians because actors can play yeah. different roles and they get to, you know, nobody criticizes if they, you know, one minute like are in this movie, but then they do this theater role and then they jump around. They're like, it's multi-talented, but like an artist does that stick with one. And it's like, oh man, really just that's why. Yeah, I know. That's why I admire greatly the artists who can do that. Like Taylor Swift, if you really yeah. listen to like where she started and then what she's ended up at and now come kind of back to like her recent album is like kind of more singer songwriter folk. Yeah. The, and the fact that she's still had hits on every, every single, single album one <laughs> as she's done it. Like, yeah. Cause I think about all the different artists that haven't been able to make those hops, you know, no, they, they, they end up alienating their, their fan base. We're almost coming out like, you know, because you and I talked about like, you know, our past of just like teaching and, you know, just teaching one-on-one -on -one private lessons for kids. I think of Taylor Swift and I'm like, okay, I remember when I started teaching, it was never getting back together. Yeah. And then we moved on and then there was 22 and then we moved on a little bit later. And then it was, you know, you had things like bad blood, shake, shake it off bad blood. Yeah. And then suddenly we move on to the folklore realm and it's just like, shit, she went, all across the spectrum but that was a hit single that was a hit single that was a hit single that was a that was a hit okay yeah and even her like first two albums were really in the country like very country you know so i don't know there, there's other artists that have been yeah. able to do that kind of thing but she is the one presently i will say that, that yeah you're right does it really really well yeah she could come out tomorrow with like i don't know like you know a takeout you know takeout record where it's just right. her ordering takeout and it's just like <laughs> people are just like oh shit this is Man. so good did you yeah. hear she just ordered that um those fries that's the hook right there. that was it that was it right there oh what is it that's tenacious d i think they do that right. there's like a drive up one <laughs> first record <laughs> And that does it for this week. Next week, don't forget, part two of my talk with Josh Doyle is going to keep on going. This episode was edited and produced by Chris Fafalius. I'm Mike Myers. Thanks for listening.